Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Our Bible reading today is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. That is um, page 977 in the, in the book, um, yeah, chapel books. <laughs> so I'll say it again, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all, who, all you are who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thank you, Lonnie. You need some more rest. I'm not talking to anyone in particular, just all of us. We need some more rest. That's the topic of today. Uh, you need more rest. In fact, statistics tell us that you need more rest. Uh, Barna Group, who uh, do research into um, pastors around the world, particularly in North America, um, have brought out some uh, disturbing stats on this in terms of pastor burnout, resilience, rest, uh, and well-being. For instance, uh, in 2021, um, most recent stats I could find, 38% of pastors seriously contemplated quitting, 38%, which is up about 10% from uh, less than a year before that when the, the stats before that were done. 38%, and it's even more disturbing for the long-term future of our church because if you ask pastors under the age of 45, that climbs to almost half of them. Now, we put a lot of effort into training pastors for the church. It would be considerate of you not to burn out. It takes a long time to train you. <laughs> so the purpose in raising this topic uh, is, yes, partly your well-being, because we're nice people who care about you, but also just to look at the future of the church. Uh, who is going to do my funeral? I'm not asking for volunteers at this point. Um, I'm not scheduling in, but someone, or more positively, what did Reese say the other day? Oh, yeah, who's going to pass to my grandkids? Yeah, that's a more positive way of putting it. Right? We need to look at like, how we have well-being, um, not in a kind of doing yoga classes on the TV kind of way, but serious spiritual well-being at the heart of what we do in our formation as pastors. And I'm not just saying uh, to us as students, uh, us as faculty need to think about this. In fact, we've had chats about um, our own well-being and our work. So how um, do we get to this point where so many of us are thinking seriously about quitting? Well, it may have um, something to do with the fact that uh, in, a, in a recent study, they also found that 35% um, of pastors are at an unhealthy dashboard level in terms of their well-being spiritually, uh, in terms of their friendships, in terms of their um, just general emotional health. And a lot of this comes back down to this issue of rest. Okay? So if you want to have healthy pastors, you want to have long-term pastors, we're going to have to think about rest. And that's um, where the today's passage comes in. I, I picked a short one um, so that we could um, focus in, but we're going to look at some other parts of the Bible too, particularly starting in the Old Testament. I want to start with this idea of the Sabbath because that's really the heart of our theology of rest. The idea of the Sabbath goes back to Genesis 
chapter 2, where God himself rests or, or ceases from his uh, work, not because he gets tired, not because he needs a break, because, of course, someone is still kind of keeping the supernovae um, kind of going. He's still sustaining the universe, but he does step back and admire his creation, like someone who's just done a good Bunnings project on the Saturday afternoon, opening the beer and thinking, yes, yes, that shelf is mostly straight. Uh, I can enjoy this. Um, I can enjoy this moment. It's, a, it's because life is more than just toil. Life is more than just labor. There's actually a sense of appreciating, admiring. And God doesn't actually tell us to do anything about that at this point. He just enjoys his own rest. He blesses the day and makes it holy. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that had been done. And that theme is picked up later when we are actually told, or it's Israel is told, what to do about that. Exodus chapter 16, the manna comes for six days. You, you get enough on the sixth day, and then the seventh day you don't collect any more, or bad things will happen to you, right? Because you need to trust God that there was food today, there will be food um, tomorrow. It's then picked up in the Ten Commandments, just in case we missed it. We're actually commanded to remember, well, we, Israel is commanded, to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no uh, any work. For, and there's the explanation, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath. A little bit of cheeky exegesis there uh, from Moses. He, he, he substitutes the word Sabbath for the seventh day to make the connection. The Sabbath, the seventh day, he blesses it and makes it holy. Like God, so you. We rest on the seventh day. Because it expresses our reliance on God, doesn't it? Right? In a subsistence farming situation, say, right, to not work on the seventh day may mean you miss the ideal time to harvest. It may mean that you have anxiety about whether there will be food on the table. And yet that is a moment of trusting in God, isn't it? Of saying, do you know what? There is more to my life than work, and I'll be okay. I'm going to trust God with our economy. I'm going to trust God with our economy. It's a bit like I, the last talk I gave in chapel was on money, how actually giving is, is a sign of trusting God, a spiritual discipline. Well, here we're actually giving our time. We're, we're sacrificing part of our time in reliance on God to say, do you know what, there's more to my life than just being a cog in the machine of the economy. Now, I want to confess now that in my first ministry job outside of Bible college, I was working on a functionally atheistical theology of ministry. I was operating functionally as an atheist because I assumed that if I didn't do stuff, bad things would happen. Therefore, I had to keep on working. Right? And like, I don't say this as a, as a boast. I worked too much. Okay? There were days when I just probably could have just switched off. Except I thought, well, what, what will happen now? It turns out that cemeteries are full of indispensable people. That's a word my father gave me. It's a bit morbid. Some of you don't need to hear that. But I needed to hear that word. Do you know what? None of us are really ultimately in charge of the universe. We're all valuable. We're all irreplaceable. And the work you do is valuable and you are valuable. But God will be okay without you for one day. Okay, and so I needed to realize I was working as an atheist, assuming that God wasn't running the show, I was. And so I got a burner phone, not to sell drugs, 
Um, so I can have a second number, right? right? Because everyone, I mean, it was a church of young adults. I was always being contacted. I, got a, I actually got a second SIM card for my Sabbath. And the church better be literally burning down if you call me on that number. It was great for that time. It meant I could psychologically separate myself from that. The Sabbath is not just about stopping work. It's also what you stop to do. You're stopping um, not just so you become more productive, although you probably will be more productive. It's, um, well, at least for Israel, it's a lesson in what's important in life. Not just more and more productivity, but as creatures in the image of God, you're in the image of the God who rested, who, who stopped and stepped back and admired and enjoyed and just basked in the glory of the creation for a while. Life is about rest as well as work. It's about productivity and work, but also about rest. And actually for Israel, interestingly, it becomes a sign that they're no longer slaves. You pick that up? And slaves don't get Sabbaths. That's part of the deal. Okay? You don't get a day off. Right? You don't give machines a day off. You don't give animals a day off. But God redeems them from slavery. And the way you know you're no longer slaves but free is that you get a Sabbath. You get a day to not be productive, to actually be human. It's a sign that they're no longer slaves. It's a sign that they are able also to just engage with God in worship. You are made for more than your work. You're made for worship. And that's why part of what you do on the Sabbath is, is consecrate yourselves for Israel. It's not just about stopping. It's what you stop in order to do. Now, that is very inconvenient for a minister. Can I just say that? This is practically inconvenient. People keep on wanting to put weddings on my day off. Okay, and because of the structure, I mean, I've always worked six days a week. Um, now it's a bit different because I kind of look after kids two of those days, but really, Saturday is the only day I can take off in most jobs I've ever had. And yet that's when wedding venues are available, apparently. And for our family, at this particular point of time, I can't swap my day off to any other day. It just it, it doesn't work. And so I was really proud of my wife, Steph, who's, some of you know, also an Anglican minister, when uh, she had a, a young couple who were getting married and she had agreed to marry them on a Sunday, but then a better wedding venue was available on the Saturday. And so they just informed her that the wedding was now on Saturday. And she said, well, that's, that's, that's lovely, but we actually can't shift our day off uh, because then we just won't have a day off for that whole, there will be no rest, uh, in fact, for that week. I'm sorry, I just can't do that. And said, oh, yeah, sure, totally understand. Anyway, how's 2 o'clock on the 9th of August? That's a Saturday. Right? They, they just didn't get it. They just didn't understand that actually... In theory, yeah, we all want our ministers to have a day off. Like, it's not unreasonable to have one day off a week, right? But she actually had to make a really hard line in the sand. And go, do you know, I, I can't do your wedding. Which is painful, but what else are you going to do? How else are you going to draw that boundary unless it's, um, you're prepared to disappoint some people? And I think that's where we really get into trouble, friends. Because we don't want to disappoint anyone. And they were fine. They just got another minister to do it. Someone who had more flexibility to work on Saturdays. Now, uh, here's the question. Did Jesus ever break the Sabbath? Now, what does this mean for Christians? Did Jesus ever break the Sabbath? I think actually based on what we see in the Gospels, no, he didn't. So how hard do we want to be applying this to ourselves? Um, well, after the passage we read, it's really interesting. Jesus says, I give you rest. Come to me, all you are burdened, heavy laden for I will give you rest. 
then immediately after, at least in Matthew's gospel, there's a bit of a confrontation around the Sabbath. Jesus is doing some things on the Sabbath. Um, in this case, his disciples are eating, but in other cases, he's healing the sick. And, the, and, and the, the kind of the religious experts come and say, Jesus, you can't do that. Interestingly, his response is not to say, Sabbath, that's so old covenant, right? Are you guys still doing that? Right? Now, what, what does he say? Well, he has three lines of argument back at them. And I think this is helpful for us as we think as Christians about what we do with the Sabbath. His first line back is a little bit of a flex, I'll be honest. Right? Um, this is more uh, clear in uh, John, 5, uh, John 5's version of this kind of encounter, uh, where he says, look, I'm God. <laughs> Deal with it. Okay. I, I think what's going on there is he's not saying the Sabbath is unimportant. He's saying as, as kind of God... As the son of God, um, I get to decide whether your rules are the right interpretation of the Sabbath. So it's a, bit, it's a bit of a flex. He actually says, my father is always working, so I'm working. Okay, so just take my word for it. This is okay. Right, so that's his, his first response. My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried to kill him all the more, um, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Okay, so that's... That's one line of um, argument that Jesus could make, number one. But in Matthew's gospel, he doesn't make that argument. He makes some other arguments, which I think are really interesting for us thinking through the Sabbath. Because in Matthew, he makes this second argument that, haven't you read the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. What's he saying there? Because it's not quite the flex like, I'm God, deal with it, take my word for it. It's actually saying, I'm the temple. I'm the temple. Maybe um, helpful for us to know that the, the temple by the end of the Old Testament has become closely associated with the Sabbath. Okay, so the, the idea that the, the Sabbath is about consecrating yourself for God and, and engaging with God, well, that's what the temple's sort of for. And so in places like Psalm 95, we talk about the temple as being the place of God's rest. So I'm the temple, says Jesus. Checkmate. I'm the temple. Later, this kind of cryptic comment, I think, becomes clearer. In Jesus, you engage with God. In Jesus, you approach God. In Jesus, you enter into What's the way that the Old Testament talks about salvation, of wholeness, of restoration of creation? Oh, that's right, rest. In Jesus, we enter into the rest that God has been promising the whole way. And so far from being some sort of breaking of the Sabbath commandments, Jesus is doing Sabbath. He is the Sabbath. He's our way into the ultimate thing that the Sabbath was meant to be uh, for all of Israel. So that's the second sort of response we get from Jesus. And the third is kind of a bit related, and it, it, it's this. Doing these kind of things, right, things that Jesus does on the Sabbath, like healing people, are actually what the Sabbath was always meant to be about. So he's not saying the Sabbath is unimportant. He's saying that I'm doing Sabbath here by healing these people, by bringing wholeness, by bringing healing to people. And in uh, Matthew's gospel, we had a hint of that when he uh, points back to, in the law, you could like rescue a, 
a, an animal right here on the Sabbath, where he says, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Right? Who, who's, when, you know, if I'm healing somebody or feeding someone or bringing wholeness and life to someone, surely it's lawful to do that on the Sabbath, much more lawful than what the Pharisees go and do, which is plot to kill him. So the Sabbath is about healing. It's about restoration of God's purposes. The law uh, points forward to those these purposes. And in fact, Isaiah 66 looks forward to the day when the whole world will be doing Sabbath. And so the healing, the feeding, the Jesus miracles, they're not like permitted as an exception on the Sabbath. They're the heart of what the Sabbath is about. Because Jesus is bringing all the blessings of the Sabbath into reality now and actually making it go global. He's bringing restoration for people who are alienated. He's bringing darkness to light. He's bringing illness to wholeness. He's bringing alienation to reconciliation. What Jesus is doing in his ministry is what the Sabbath is all about. So that's how Jesus kind of approaches the Sabbath, not abolishing it, not dismissing it, but fulfilling it, you could say. What does that mean then for us as Christians? How, where does the Sabbath fit in our life? When I was a kid, I actually grew up in quite a strict Sabbath household. Uh, we weren't allowed to go to um, birthday parties normally on Sundays, uh, even up to the end of school, like doing exam preparation, even the night before an exam on, on Sunday was sort of not the thing that we did. Um, and so I just kind of assumed that everyone was keeping the Sabbath, guys. Like, right? Are we just like, isn't this like our thing? It's one of the Ten Commandments. What are you guys crazy? What else are you doing? <laughs> what other commandments are you breaking in this, uh, in this place? But then I got to Bible college and someone challenged me on that and said, well, actually, you're not really keeping the Sabbath because the Sabbath is Saturday. So where does that leave you? Oh, yeah, good point. Right, am I keeping the law or not? Now, it's taken for me a while to kind of put this back together in my head, and so feel free to dismantle it again over morning tea, right? because this has been a journey for me. But I think where I've landed on here is the Sabbath for us as Christians is no longer a, a legal regulation, but it is revelation, which is relevant to how we live our lives and how we think about our lives. You've heard me say this before. It's not regulation, but it is revelation. Or as Lindsay Wilson, Lindsay Wilson often says this in class, Lindsay um, is fond of saying that he doesn't consider himself bound by the law against adultery. I've heard you say that before, Lindsay. <laughs> However, as Clarissa, I'm sure, is eager for us to also know uh, what that law points to in the fabric of the universe, which is that faithfulness is absolutely a good thing in marriage. Lindsay absolutely, in an upstanding way, is a model Oh, so we're not bound by the law, but we, the law does reveal something about how the universe works. Right? Because notice that as we went through the Old Testament passages, none of those were addressed to me as a Gentile. Right? I'm not invited into the Sabbath. Okay? That's something for Israel to observe. But there is a hope that one day all of creation will be brought into the Sabbath. And that happens through Jesus. So the, the main way that we actually observe the Sabbath primarily, is actually by believing in Jesus, I think. So Colossians 2.16, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival or new moon festival or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. 
So the promised rest that the prophets look forward to in the Old Testament, how do you enter that rest? By believing in Jesus. But you're still a creature. Right? The Sabbath law, though it's no longer binding as, as, as uh, regulation, is absolutely revealing something about how life is lived well. Okay? It's good to stop and focus once in a while and stop being endlessly productive and just focus about what life is about and what we're looking forward to. Right? You can read Hebrews 3 to 4 um, to kind of look more at, at what this might look like for us who are anticipating this rest that we've already entered, but also um, that we will enter. And you can take Andrew Malone's Hebrews class next year and really get into the detail of that. But the short version is, as Christians, we are looking forward to this rest that is already ours. And at least once a week, I think it's a good idea to focus on that. Because otherwise, you will just get ground down by the daily realities of this world. So once in a while, stop and refocus, recalibrate on the future. That's the first thing I think we learn from the Sabbath that reveals. The second thing, it actually reveals that rest is a social justice issue. One thing I really love about the Old Testament command about the Sabbath is it has provision for not only Jews, not only free people, not only the rich and the powerful, not only the humans. Everyone in that community gets to rest, even the animals. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son nor daughter nor male nor female servant nor your animals or any foreigner residing in your town. This is a a community-wide observance. We used to have such a thing in Victoria. In my lifetime, we have gone from a situation in 1991 when shops legally could be open 10 Sundays a year. Some of you may need me to say that again. In Victoria, this, this place, 10 Sundays a year maximum was when shops could be open. Right? In 1992, they extended the uh, exception so that tourist precincts could open a bit more. And then in 1996, Victoria completely deregulated it. Christians were some of the people around the world when this was happening. It was a, it was a losing battle, but I hope we were good losers in this. Right? It was a losing battle, but Christians and trade unions were like, hang on, please don't do this. Right? Because it's just going to mean that people who are running small businesses and people who are not wealthy and people who are casuals are just never going to get a day off. And we were assured, oh, those naive Christians, they don't know how the economy works. We need to move to a 24-7 economy. That's the way things are going. Do you know what? It's interesting. Last time they tried to remove the award wage for Sundays, the argument was the same. But this is a 24-7 economy. One of the journalists, I think, was really clever rang up the same people who were making that argument Sunday at 11 a.m. And their office was unattended. We live in a society where the rich have the luxury of a Sabbath, but the poor do not. There are people, I know there are shopkeepers where I live, who are working seven days a week, because they have to. There is good for us in the Sabbath, and there's a gentle rebuke to me. And I, one of the reasons I'm doing this is a, a, a wise old man at church took me aside and said, I need to take the Sabbath more seriously, not just to stop work, but actually to focus on God on the Sabbath. He urged me uh, to do that. 
I can't control everything. My kids will wake up at seven o'clock no matter what. But I am in control of my telephone. I'm mostly in control of my schedule. I cannot do things on the Sabbath. I'm trying to be in control of my thoughts to actually distance myself from my work. And I'm trying to do more than just uh, stopping work. I'm trying to, like, my, my quiet time is the worst on my Sabbath, to be honest, because I can at least get to work and take half an hour for a quiet time, whereas at home it just never seems to happen. But I, I want to I get better at that. And Graham Stanson gave me a great tip recently to actually start the Sabbath on Friday night. Sundown to sundown. It's biblical. Right? Because then you're not thinking about Sunday um, when you're trying to rest. Anyway, here's some tips. I'm not nailing this right now, but I offer that to you because you were made not for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for you, as Jesus put it. We do need, as people who are looking forward to entering the Sabbath rest, we do need to also recover the wisdom, the revelation 